Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. I want to ask you about this when it comes to political violence. On your Twitter feed, you posted this video we're going to show just a few days ago where you're firing a gun and it says, enjoyed exercising my Second Amendment rights, hashtag fire Pelosi. Why is there a gun in a political ad at all? It wasn't an ad. Hashtag I was, I was or a tweeting tweet. Out, I was tweeting out hashtag something that I just fire done. Pelosi with a weapon. Well, now wouldn't a pink slip be more fitting if it's about firing her? It's interesting, Margaret. It's interesting, Margaret, that we're talking about this this morning. When a couple of years back, when a Bernie Sanders supporter shot Steve Scalise, which was horrendous, when a Bernie and Sanders supporter shot Steve Scalise, I never heard you weapons. or anyone else in the media trying to blame Democrats for what happened. We need to stay we focused on what we're all doing. We did extensive coverage of what happened to Ex- Steve Scalise. Me? There is extensive Nobody news Nobody tried sir. to equate Democrats' rhetoric. People that I'm not say, talking about your rhetoric. I'm talking about what you posted. You're shooting same. a gun. Our viewers just saw it. Yeah, right. Hashtag fire Pelosi. Exercising our Second Amendment rights, having That's fun That's not a debate about the Second Amendment. Yeah. That's not a debate about the Second Amendment. Hashtag yes, fire Pelosi. Yes, it is. I, I'm, Do you I'm running not understand that that is suggestive to people who are in a bad state and in this current environment, how risky it is? As you're talking well, about I, the I importance of lowering the rhetoric. I disagree with Why you. Why do you leave that up? Again, I never saw anyone after Steve Scalise was shot by a I'm Bernie Sanders right supporter now, trying to equate, equate Democrat now. rhetoric with those actions. That was an incredible exchange between Face the Nation's Margaret Brennan and Minnesota Congressman Tom Emmer. And he mentions Bernie Sanders. This is what Bernie Sanders went to the floor of Congress the day of the Steve Scalise shooting. Uh, This is what he said. Madam President, I have just been informed that the alleged shooter at the Republican baseball practice this morning is someone who apparently volunteered on my presidential campaign. I am sickened by this despicable act. And let me be as clear as I can be. Violence of any kind is unacceptable in our society, and I condemn this action in the strongest possible terms. Real change can only come about through nonviolent action, and anything else runs counter to our most deeply held American values. That's how you unequivocally condemn violence. And Democrats across the board did the same thing. And as Margaret Brennan said, it was extensively covered. And uh, the commentary in the media was also of of great condemnation. Now, this is uh, what Arizona Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake said in the last few days. It is not impossible to protect our kids at school. They act like it is. Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in D.C. Apparently her house doesn't have a lot of protection. But... I mean, if if you didn't know better, it would be easy to think that that was a clip from a comedy club because she's like, you know, just sarcastically making a joke. And then there's a bunch of people who ha and laughing and having a good old time. But this is someone who's running for governor and she's neck and neck with Katie Hobbs running for governor of Arizona, which is a critical state, as we know from the last election. And she's making a joke about an 82 year old man getting his head bashed in with a hammer. This is where we are today, folks where we can't even come together and just universally, unequivocally condemn violence. Personally speaking, I'm not, I'm not concerned with people condemning violence, with Republicans condemning violence. 
because that's easy. That's like after a shooting, people say thoughts and prayers. And then the next day they go and do nothing about it. We need to condemn the people, the people like Trump, the people like Carrie Lake, the people like Tom Emmer, who seem to enjoy the violence, who seem to spread and incite the violence. Merely saying, oh, I'm not, I'm against violence. Well, that's easy to do. That's not what we should be demanding Republicans to do. We should be demanding they condemn those responsible for the violence with their with their rhetoric. So we got a big election coming up on Tuesday, people. Um, Maddie, Jen, um, I know we we people always say like this is the one. This is the most important election in our lifetime. But it is. But you know the interesting thing is that in the last twenty four hours or so, it seems like the momentum is shift back to the, shifted back to the Democrats. Um, Marist poll came out this morning that has uh, Democrats up in uh, Georgia and Pennsylvania and Arizona and in the Senate race. And I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm feeling kind of positive. You guys? Cautiously pessimistic, hopefully. About? Um, about? about the outcome. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a little nervous that Joe Biden is going to be in Yonkers tomorrow mm-hmm. to help prevent Lee Zeldin from winning in New York. Yeah, that's that's really... It's, it's, I'm glad you pointed that out. I mean, for New York to have an election this close with someone who's an absolute election-denying Trumper like Lee Zeldin is fucking terrifying. That it, I mean, New York, please get up and get out and vote. An anti-abortion in New York. Yeah. Well, he's just a, he's 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 Trump light. We shouldn't even be having this conversation. It should not be this close. Not in New York, because if New York falls, we're done. Yes. Um, I was listening to Michael Moore. He was on Ari Melber last night. Michael Moore famously predicted that Trump would win when a lot of people were saying, oh, that's crazy. He says Democrats are going to win on Tuesday. And I agree with him on one, like two main points, which I've said on this podcast, uh, and I've said a lot before, because to me, it's just the obvious. And that is Joe Biden won by 7 million votes pre-insurrection, pre-overturning Roe, pre-absolute Two years later, fealty to Trump, with the exception of Liz Cheney and, and Adam Kinzinger. What what would have changed in those two years that made the the, the suburban mom, the, the moderate Republican male, the independent male? What would make them go, you know what? I was so fired up two years ago, I voted for Joe Biden, but now I'm going back. Just If you just think about that from a logical, data-driven rational, predictive standpoint, like what would lead to that conclusion? I I don't have the answer. Michael Moore doesn't have the answer, but Jen thinks she has the answer. <laughs> you know, I don't have the answer, but um, so Congressman Emmer said, I'm running a campaign operation to Republicans and the pivot is security. And that's, that's what's being hammered. Crime. On. Correct. Yeah. But, you know, as I pointed out last week or, or, Maybe it wasn't last week, but it, it, a poll uh, came out on CNN. I think it was this week, actually, uh, ranking the issues that are most important to Americans. And crime was at the bottom of the list at just 3%, which, you know, we can attack Democrats all we want about bad messaging. But if if all you, you've gotten is 3% from all the messaging about crime, all the fear mongering, all the ad dollars, then I got to say you failed at that message. That's not important. It's not an important message. I mean, I hear you. And I think if you listen to the media, you're going to think that that's really important among people. But I'm just trying to see through that. And I, I don't, I just keep coming back to what would make people go, yeah, the country is 
crazy worse than it was two years ago. I mean, we've had people storm the Capitol. We had police getting killed. Roe v. Wade was overturned. There's more school shootings. The planet is on fire. But you know what? I'm going back. I'm going back to Republicans. Why? I hope you're right. There's no rational explanation to cause that. There's no cause and effect analysis that could be done for that. The opposite is 1 million percent true. There's an absolute rational basis to say it's not going to be 7 million. This election is going to be 15 million because of all the shit that's happened and all the shit we now know about Trump and Republicans and Trumpism. But, you know, one thing I believe is true, you know, conventional wisdom, people say, you know, the House always flips after, you know, an incumbent president, uh, you know, a, a new, new president comes in, midterms always flips. Everything in the last seven years, everything politically in the last seven years has utterly defied conventional wisdom. And I think Tuesday is going to be no different. Matty? I hope you're right. That's all. I, I just don't. I sound don't like know. a man not convinced. I'm not convinced. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm cautiously pessimistic, but I'm, you know, I have a little bit of optimism because of what you said. But mm -hmm. um, we'll see if we're crying on Wednesday. I hope we know, actually, by Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, because if we don't, uh, we're going to be in for some really, really bad. Well, it's possible George is going to end up in a runoff like it did last time, and we're going to not know about Georgia till January. Well, runoff would be, you know, I'd be optimistic if we have a, a regular runoff. What I'm worried about is the crazies coming out. Yeah, well, you're 100% right. It's, it, it's going to be crazy, but I, I'm holding on to the optimism that says... There's a reason why Biden won. There's a reason why we got the House, the Senate. There's a reason why Georgia flipped. There's a reason why Arizona flipped. None of those reasons changed back to Republicans. I could see a normal Republican going, I, I don't want to pay more for gas. And I'm talking about the people who were moderate Republicans, who were independents, who were sickened by what they saw, held their nose and voted for Democrats. Why would they let the fingers off the nose now? Because it's a hundred times worse. Where, why would they go back? All right. So let's uh, talk about Twitter for a minute or two. Uh, there are a couple of issues that are on the table here about Twitter. One is Elon Musk. And is he going to be an effective CEO and running the company? There's also an issue of the blue check mark. Should we charge for that? Is it still going to be validated? Is anybody going to get it? I've, I've seen a lot of misinformation on Twitter that anybody can just pay for it and get it, which is not true. And then there's also the issue that has been around for a long time now, which is why not just make it like Facebook where everybody has to identify who they are and not be anonymous. So let's just quickly run through that. Maddie, what do you, what do you I mean, I know you have strong feelings about the company and him and where, where it might be headed, but just what do you think? Yeah, I just think, keeping it brief, that uh, Twitter has no future if Elon Musk remains in control. And unless he uh, gives the reins to somebody else, Twitter doesn't have a future based on what I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a week into the, into the you know, the, the, the corporate office, uh, the corner office, rather. You know, there's been things that have been alarming, tweets that have been alarming, actions that have been alarming. And I, and I think, you know, putting that aside... In, just in terms of the running of the company, really, which is what you're speaking to, you know, I guess only time's going to tell, you know, there's reason to believe that he could possibly destroy the company or some might think, okay, there's a method to his madness and he is who he is. He's going to say crazy stuff, but at the end of the day, he's going to make that company as efficient and impactful as he did Tesla and SpaceX. And I guess only time will tell. Uh, the check mark, eight bucks a month now. He first said twenty bucks a month. I don't know. I mean, is I don't personally think people are going to 
abandon the, the, the verification process over $8 a month? What do you think? Uh, I think it's a bad idea. And mm-hmm. Too many people will not pay that money, especially because they don't want to give him, uh, the richest man in the world, a penny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. Uh, the, ke- the question is, will people not do it in a uh, meaningful way where the backlash is the majority of the verified people? There's going to be some people, just like we've already seen people quit Twitter. I mean, my followers have gone down. Other people have lost a lot of followers. But the majority of people are still staying and overwhelming majority of people are still staying. And personally, I think, you know, the blue check mark has meaning to the people who have it. You know, I I think for me, fundamentally, a bigger issue is anonymous or not anonymous. I I understand both sides. I get it. But I also do believe that Twitter is only 12, you know, uh, 16 years old and lots of thing ha- things happened in history that allowed people to express themselves, to be whistleblowers, to complain about companies, to call, you know, call out horrible behavior at t- tobacco companies, at Enron, et cetera, et cetera. They didn't need Twitter. They didn't need a social media platform. You know, if you got stuff like that, the, the New-, New York Times is always dying to get people to blow the whistle. You know, I, I don't know. I just think there's so much wrong with people being able to post anonymously and and spread hate and threaten people with violence and just, and impersonate and just, just be awful. I don't know. I, I, I see the value. I understand the concerns people have, but it's just an interesting conversation. Yeah, I don't, I have mixed feelings about the anonymity issue. I would just add my last comment is that the biggest tech deal in history was the AOL Time Warner deal, and we saw the uh, purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk, and I think this may end just as well as the AOL Time Warner deal. Yeah, you may be right. History may prove you right, sir. Before we get into our uh, interview, which I'm very excited to get into with Mary Trump, last week we mentioned that uh, I'm going to be working on my Trump impression, because it's very important to me to do Trump, and I'm extremely frustrated that I can't. Uh, before we started today, I, I did, I went through my whole repertoire of Sesame Street characters for Jen and Maddie. Um, they were spot on, cannot do Trump, but I decided that in order for me to do Trump, I have to do it in layers. I can't take on the macro Trump. It's just too big, too important, too, there's too many moving pieces to it. So it's gotta be like going into a record studio, recording studio and laying down tracks. Like when McCartney goes to his country home. You know, in Ireland. And he makes an album all by himself. Plays all the instruments. He lays down tracks. Starts with the drums, then puts the piano down. Okay, so, for me, Trump, he's all about the seductiveness of his voice. Now when he's, like, barking at a rally and doing that thing. But when he goes down here, it's like he's seducing a woman. You would do it if you loved me. That's how he talks. So I'm going to start... And don't get don't get hung up on that. It was a horrible impression of Trump, which is pretty much where it's going to end up. But that's how I'm going to start. I'm starting with the the layer of seduction, and we'll see how it goes. I'm very excited today about our guest. Really excited. She is Mary Trump. She is a trained clinical psychologist with a PhD from the Derner Institute of Advanced Psychological Studies. She also has a master's degree in English and comparative literature from Columbia University. As an adjunct professor at Adelphi University, she taught graduate-level courses in developmental psychology, psychopathology, and trauma. In 2017, Mary provided over 40,000 pages of documents to the New York Times, becoming a source for the 2018 Pulitzer Prize-winning article written by Suzanne Craig and Russ Butner. She's the author of two New York Times bestseller 
best-selling books, the first of which, Too Much and Never Enough, published in July 2020, sold a million copies on its first day of publication. Her second book, The Reckoning, was published in August 2021. And she is, of course, well-known as the niece and outspoken critic of former President Donald Trump. Mary, welcome into the back room. Thanks, Andy. It's so great to be here, finally. Yeah, no, I am so excited uh, to talk with you. You have no idea, and even more so, you have no idea how excited I am to talk with someone named Trump who I actually love. <laughs> like, that's huge. Like, just think about that. Like, there's only there's only one Trump in this world you can talk to and actually be excited about it. <laughs> that's very kind of you, but there are actually two. My daughter is really oh, awesome, okay. but right. uh, she likes to stay out of, uh, stay out of this. So yeah, well, I want to ask you about that in a minute. Sure. But um, we here in the back room, we like to get like a window into people's souls. So we have two questions we ask. One is at the beginning, one is at the end, which we think give, give a good window. So the first one is cat or dog person? A uh, cat. And what's fascinating about this is that I actually have a soul. <laughs> and you have the name of Trump. So there, there you go. Yeah. Like we could just stop right there. This could be ended right here. And I will have proven my point of this whole thing. Uh, what what kind of cat do you have? I We we only ever have rescues. So they're all mm -hmm. mutts. Mm -hmm. um, so right now I have a 10-year-old and a one-year-old. And their names? Which is... Donald um, and Junior. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> No, because I actually love my cat. So I don't want to burden them <laughs> awesome. with such things. Very awesome. <laughs> the the older one is Lyndon, which uh, this is sort of funny. Is my daughter's middle name? She named him Lyndon. I'm not sure where Lyndon, L I N D E N. Wow. And, uh, and the, the other one is Fitzgerald. One, <laughs> maybe oh, maybe I'll change her name to Fitzgerald. Uh, is Cap C A P, and there's a story behind it that's not really that interesting. Mm -hmm. But anyway. Lyndon and Cap. Okay. And uh, you have a daughter who's 21? Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just turned 21 a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And you started to say that she tries to stay out of... How is this... I mean, how has this whole thing been for her? In a way, um, I think the... Not that it's a good thing, but COVID made it easier to sort of stay out of the fray. Right. Because we weren't going anywhere. We weren't meeting anybody. You know, we weren't subjected to anything. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that definitely helped her. Mm -hmm. kind of. And is her is her last name Trump? It is, uh, which seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> in hindsight, though. In hindsight. She handles it extraordinarily well, though. Um, and just one, I think it, it made it easy by destroying politics for her, <laughs> you know, after the 2016 election, like the last thing she ever wanted to hear about again was politics. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so she doesn't engage uh, with that. Um, and she just, people ask, no, I'm, I don't know him. And she doesn't, she's never met these people. Mm -hmm. So it's not like she feels any kind of kinship or responsibility or anything. Uh, so I, that, that definitely makes it easier. And how, well. how is it, I mean, for both of you, I mean, for someone like me, and I guess people listening, if we just like for a second said, oh my God, what if my name was Trump? What would my day be like if I went to, you know, if I'm ordering food, if I'm just like, I mean, is it is it a big deal or like, 
I mean, do you have do you find yourself having to explain things all the time or fend off, you know, weirdness, or hmm. is it just kind of not an issue? Well, it's it's never been an issue for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the one thing that's changed though is that I used to lie about it uh, because I could, um, you know. If I ever paid with a credit card and anybody asked, are you related? I always said no. <laughs> to that guy? Um, what are you, crazy? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and the responses were, could sometimes be amusing or annoying. You know, a lot of times people are like, oh, don't you wish you were? No, actually I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't, I can't necessarily lie about it anymore. Um, but again, you know, my, my life has been quite restricted in a lot of ways. I know. Most people think COVID's over, but it isn't. Right. Um, so, and and I live in New York, so New York City. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not really going to. Uh, I don't think. Um, I mean, I haven't yet had any bad experiences. Um, well, in New so York, people I, love you. I mean, people love you I, everywhere, but I think in New York, you're like God. <laughs> At least in my mind, you are. <laughs> well, that's. Very kind and, and I say that as not a, true. I say that as an atheist, actually. So you you are my <laughs> oh, god. Good. You are my. We god. have that in common too. Um, I mean, the atheist part, mm-hmm. not not the I'm um, a god part. Um, so yeah, I I I think I've been dealing with this whole my whole life. So he just went from one kind of notoriety to another, and really the only thing that changed for me is that my you know I'm. I'm a more public facing person. Right. And speaking um, of that and your daughter, like what has that part been like for her? Like as she said, Mom, did you have to do that? Like, did she do the teenager thing a couple of years ago? And like life was great before that. <laughs> um, you know, I she's she's never said anything like that to me. Uh and it it's hard to overstate how not, how little things changed because of COVID. We were literally, my book was published right. in July, 2020. Right. Nobody was going anywhere. Like I used to get that question very frequently that in the first year. Um, so how has your life changed? Like, it hasn't because I'm talking to you from my living room. <laughs> so, you know, I, I got to have great conversations with really cool and interesting people, but I wasn't meeting anybody, you mm-hmm. know, I wasn't going out to dinner, go to parties or going to events. I mean, I still haven't done anything live since uh, like any live in-person events uh, since July, 2020. You're not missing so, much. People, people are highly no. overrated. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think, I think you're, you're onto something. I there. looked at um, COVID as an opportunity to, to truly channel my inner Larry David. So I was like, I never really liked most people. And now, like, I don't have to see them. I have an excuse not to actually hang out with human beings. I could just sit at home with my yeah, dogs you, and my cats. Great. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you have both dogs I have and both. cats? Yeah. Not by That's choice. Awesome. I have a... The cats belong to my daughter. I'm a dog guy. Okay. But I love my cats. Okay. I've learned to yeah. love my cats. And they're rescues. Yeah. They're rescues, too. Yeah, so. that's, I think that's the only way to go. One and I actually, I do love dogs. They just kind of don't... They, they're a lot of work. Yeah, well, they're, they're both work, yeah. but, you know, um, m- one of my cats doesn't have ears. Somebody cut her ears off. Can you imagine the cruelty of that? So she's a little nuts, but we give we give her a lot of latitude because of that. Um, but that's very sad. And we got her like a week after. Um, I mean, she was still practically bandaged. But um, you, you, you 
you've been very open about so many things, like your sexuality. You are gay. Uh, did mm -hmm. you know that? Did you know you were gay? I, I, I wish you had told, prepared me better. Thank goodness I'm sitting. Sorry to just spring that on you like that. When, when did you realize that? When did you first know that that's who you were? I don't really know uh, because probably like a lot of people, I didn't want to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was probably many years of just not dealing with it. So it's I, it's hard to say. Mm -hmm. um, and I know like, I never came out or anything. So it just sort of unfolded over time. And has, um, has that influenced you and your cho your choices of the last couple of years in any way? Has that given, coming from that kind of like foundational place where you've had adversity that has nothing to do with your family, that you that you were different, mm -hmm. you were dealing with that. Did, did, did that, I would, it's, it would seem to me that on some level that would kind of empower you in a way to do what you've done in the last couple of years. You know, that's really interesting to think about it in those terms, because I, I actually didn't, because of the way I, I sort of avoided the issue, um, like when, when it, when I got to the point in my life where I was open about it, um, I, like, there was no, like I said, there was no coming out, there was no big shift, like the people who knew, needed to know knew, and I just kind of, continued living my life. Uh, so um, I, I think, um, and, and also like at that point, I just, uh, I didn't tell my family anyway, because uh, mm -hmm. I knew how they would react. So I was never really faced with um, any kind of uh, hatred or, or uh, lack of acceptance or uh, vitriol, anything. And also, I was um, I had been in academia for a long time, and that's a slightly different environment. You know, it's not like I was um, living that lifestyle uh, really at all. Like I lived a very straight life in, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so <clears throat> it was more feeling that because uh, I I had in large part been protected by, from. Um, any adverse reactions that I felt that it was very important that from the very beginning of, of this particular part of my journey, uh, since the first book came out, that I be open about it and just treat it like, you know, one other thing about me mm -hmm. um, to in, in the hopes that, you know, one, it just normalizes the issue and to, uh, you know, I think that's a way to help other people who might be struggling in ways I did it. Mm -hmm. no, it's just it's just an interesting thing to reveal the way you revealed it when you revealed it. And but I but I take it to me, it's like I have, I have so so much more respect for you in some weird way because you know I uh, I think people who come from some kind of challenging background, whatever it is, whatever adversity they're facing, I, I do believe that that kind of fuels us to just sort of like not give a shit about the mm -hmm. things that other people would worry about doing. It's like it just gives you some kind of some kind of strength. I mean, your background, mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're reading about your and listening to you in different ways over the last couple of years talking about the dysfunction in your family. I mean, I, I teased on this podcast about, about my dysfunctional family but like your family 
it's just like that family is just crazy. I mean, you your court is saying the women in my family were misogynists. <laughs> that like you chuckle yeah. for a second because it's kind of like a f- weirdly humorous thing, but then you you sort of realize like my God, that that's crazy. You got an alcoholic dad. You do suffer from PTSD. Your grandmother is famously, you know, uh, famously quoted as saying, like, what kind of son did I create? Like, <laughs> it is, how did you come out? <laughs> like, just sitting in three minutes, you already know, three minutes of talking to you, you'd be like, all right, this woman has a sense of humor, which is like, right off the bat, makes you one million percent different than anyone in the Trump family, because they, they're just humorless. How did you come out so normal? From that family. Well, first of all, I challenge the assumption that I'm normal. Yeah. I'm definitely, you know, I didn't emerge normal or unscathed. And I think most of us don't, right? Yeah, un- but so. unscathed is a totally, I get unscathed uh, and, yeah. and scathed. Yeah. But scathed. Just, yes, you get scathed. I don't know. Most of us have looked at that family. They're a family of sociopaths. They're not just dysfunctional. It, it's, yeah. it's like if, if aliens from another planet wanted to come here and inhabit human life forms so they can like blend in and do some reconnaissance. Like the Trump family would be the perfect models for that. Cause like if you open them up, like there's nothing inside, there's like wires. It's like an old like beer can, you know, like when they opened up Jaws, the shark, right? Like it's like they're the perfect people to just, okay, put them, let's sew them up, put them back into society and we'll, we'll just like monitor everything that goes on. Actually, what would really be funny right now if you got all defensive on me, like, hey, that's my family, all right? Those are my cousins you're talking about. Oh, man. But I mean, like, that's what I mean. Like, they're a family. We should have prepared for this and planned that <laughs> planned that bit. But listen, that is so freaking perfect. Um, sorry, I'm a swore. Uh, it's okay. We, like my... we had Michael Fanone on a couple of weeks ago. And like I told him, just oh, curse away, man. Just whatever you fuck want. Fuck it. I mean, fuck it. I, how would, otherwise, it, with Michael Fanone, it would have been a very short interview. You had it would to have been like, beep, 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 beep. Beep. That would just would have been a series of beeps for an hour or whatever. That's How long? Right. <laughs> you know, on MSNBC, I think you just called Carrie like a piece of shit. Yeah. No, I saw that. I saw that live. It was great. Um, anyway, I, the the analogy of my family as alien species that's like a dead, eviscerated shark with trash in its innards. It's just perfect. That could be a Twilight Zone episode. It would so, be. It would be without the without the humor and charm of Rod Sterling. <laughs> well, that's uh, pretty funny. Yeah, Come on. I, I mean, I don't know. I, again, I, I I've had my issues with dysfunction, and people have said to me over the years. Like, I remember my first wife famously said to me, "How are you not like lying in an alley somewhere with a needle sticking out of your arm?" <laughs> and I, so I, I I'm acutely aware of that in other people and other families, and I, I you know. Without any humor whatsoever, totally serious. I look at the family you grew you grew up around, and I look at what you've written, and I've heard you speak, and it is kind of amazing that you turned out. And I know the word normal, especially talking to a psychologist. I was like, "What is normal?" Well, it's not the Trump family. Okay, that we can conclude. Yep. Normal is not the Trump family. How you can come out not like them. It's just fascinating to me. How do you explain that? Like, what were your early I, influences I, that took you away from that? 
or is it just why the way you're wired? I think it, as always, it's a combination of things. Um, and, uh, probably the, the best thing is that I didn't grow up, uh, as, as, um, Donald's sibling, because as I've said in other places, uh, my dad had, or my grandparents had five children and every single one of them was a destroyed human being in one way or another. Um, you know, you could say the same about some of the people in my generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was lucky to come out just damaged, you know, not destroyed. Um, and I don't, I'm not really sure why I grew up or became a human being with empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, my dad, yes, a destroyed human being, but not a bad person. I mean, he did bad things, of course, because mm-hmm. he was very troubled and sick. But he was not, I think he was a fundamentally good person. And certainly, uh, if, he'd, if he'd been supported and nurtured, um, you know, his, he, he would have had a very different life. I think, um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a tragedy uh, that he didn't get to become that. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite, um, you know, my, my troubled relationship with him, um, he was very funny and uh, sensitive. And, you know, he loved things like he, he loved boats and flying and mm-hmm. being out on the water and, you know, fishing and all that kind of stuff. So, so there were things that, that he did and, and had access to that nobody else in my family had any interest in. Mm-hmm. So I think that was big. And also some of it's environmental. I grew up in Jamaica, Queens, which is like a 10, 10 minute bike ride mm-hmm. from where my grandparents lived in Jamaica States, but it may as well have been a thousand miles away because mm-hmm. Jamaica States is a very wealthy, almost entirely white neighborhood. And Jamaica is working class. Um, you know, when I grew up, it was predominantly black, totally different world. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it well. And that grounded me. I know it well oh, be- because because I was so academically oriented in high school, I actually had to go to Jamaica High School in the summer to get my dad my, went to Jamaica High School to get my to, to in order to get my high school degree because I failed bookkeeping because I hated it. So I had to go in the summer. I have to drive from Far Rockaway Queens, which is where I grew up, to Jamaica oh God, High School. Inc- yeah, so I know Jamaica very well. <laughs> That's I could see Jamaica High School from my window. Yeah, I could from the window. Unfortunately, I could still party. see it in my head because it was like the worst summer of my life. <laughs> yeah, my dad went there for a year and I couldn't handle it yeah. anymore. But you so mentioned you know, your dad's going. love of of aeronautics and all that, and that caused a lot of rift between him and his dad. Like Fred Senior, when you know, when your dad was like, "Hey, I don't want to go into the family business," you know, that was like the start of a like a family war in a way, and so that contributed, I guess, to your your father's um, issues that he had, and certainly, I'm I'm sure it didn't help in in with him dealing with that stuff, and maybe even made obviously made things worse. But um, it's just such a fascinating family. But the thing I want to ask you about. You know, Uncle Shitbag's parents, okay? Because everybody, everybody always talks about Fred and the impact on Donald. Like, Donald is such a sociopath because of Fred. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a psychologist or even close, but you mentioned empathy before. And I think we, we get our empathy, or most of us at least try to get our empathy maternally. And mm. Donald didn't have that presence in his life. And I'm just wondering what you think about, like, wh- like who, who created this monster who, who has no feeling? I mean, the other day, I'm sure you're aware of his, his uh, rally where he said, you know, hey, here's the way to get journalists to uncover their, to, to uh, make public their sources. Let's send them to prison so they can get raped. And then they'll, I mean, someone whose mind works in that kind of sadistic, to, to the levels of sadism and cruelty that, that he, like, who created that? What was, what's, what was missing in his life? Because it's just too easy to say, oh, it's Fred. Fred didn't love him, you know? Well, it was a team effort, <laughs> certainly. Uh, you know. Uh, and Takes a village. <laughs> it, it, it does. It definitely does. Um, so, I, obviously, having a sociopath for a parent is, is never a good way to start <laughs> life. But um, I think that early on, the biggest contributing factor to Donald's uh, various psychopathies uh, was the fact that his mother was absent for quite a Mm -hmm. while. Um, You know, when he was about two and a half um, and uh, she had given birth nine months previously to my uncle Rob, the youngest of the children. And um, she got very ill. it hadn't been a good pregnancy and you know nine months after the birth she she had to be hospitalized had several surgeries over a course of many months and and just was not either physically present or emotionally present when she was home because she was in a great deal of pain and uh there was nobody to fill the gap you know his my his Three oldest siblings were like 12, 10, and seven, respectively. Um, and uh, there was my grandfather, mm. who couldn't, didn't give a shit about children um, and had no, no uh, paternal feelings. Uh, he had no sense of nurt- being nurturing or anything like that. Uh, so the first that two and a half is a very crucial developmental period in a kid's life. Um, so when your primary caregiver is absent and there's nothing, nobody le- there to take the place of that. And, and you know, the, the children can be perfectly fine through that mm-hmm. if there's somebody there right, uh, doing the work. Well, that's interesting to me because I'm listening to you talk, and then I'm, and then I like as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, Junior and Eric and Ivanka, like they had it, Ivana. She seemed, I mean, I wouldn't say she's a sociopath, but I didn't. We don't know that much about her publicly as mm. we do, so it's like if they had someone in their lives who was reasonably maternal and caring and loving how did they turn out so evil um i'm not entirely sure that i would say that ivana was those things 
Uh, yeah, and I, and I, I say her. that in absolute ignorance. Like, you know, yeah, we, we just yeah. saw the public Ivana, and she seemed like a a reasonable, you know, you can say she was a gold digger or this or that or whatever everybody said, but hmm. maybe rightly or wrongly so. I always got the impression that she was a a, a decent mom. You know, it's interesting. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call her a gold digger. You know, he was there. He was in his late twenties when they met, and mm. and uh, um, I'm just I talking about she, like the public she, criticism of her. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, and Absolutely. I don't remember the criticism being she was an awful mom. It was just a lot of other stuff that people like to whatever make up in their minds, a narrative, you know. But I don't know. Yeah. It's just like it's easy to explain away Donald in a sense, but I'm I'm in a way more fascinated by the offspring because. I don't know. It's just like, how do you raise three equally evil children that just, I, I mean, it's like they're, bra- I mean, maybe it's just brainwashing and browbeating year after, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, you know, again, I, I, I don't, I was not in their home. Um, so I only know from my own experience that you know, Ivana was not a particularly warm person. Mm, okay. but let's leave it at that. Um, but Again, I, I the the extent to which almost everybody in my family is not a good person is is quite kind of astonishing. Not everybody, but almost everybody. I mean, it's it's. Uh, Can you name? I mean, for those of us at home who are not intimately aware of the the entire Trump family, and just talking to you, I'd say, okay, we have Mary, we have, and what is your daughter's name, by the way? Avery. Avery. We have Mary. We have Avery. Is there is there another one we should focus on and go another Trump that's awesome like who does that person exist? Yeah, you know, and I don't I don't I don't like to talk about the the good members of my family because I like to leave them out of mm-hmm. it. Um, Fair enough. But yeah, when I when I talk and and there aren't it's a weirdly not big family because mm-hmm. there were five children. So both of my grandparents were terrible in different different ways, mm-hmm. but. You know, my grandmother wasn't a sociopath, but she had serious personality disorders. Um, so they had five kids. And as I said earlier, all five of them destroyed human beings. Two of them didn't have children. Mm. So despite the fact that there are five siblings, there are only eight grandchildren, and five of them are Donald's kids. That narrows, that narrows the, the pack a little. It does. And three, the three who aren't are like of a totally different generation. Mm-hmm. Like I'm the youngest of the oldest three grandchildren and I'm 12 years older than Donnie and 16 years older than Ivanka. And I don't know how much older than Eric, but mm-hmm. you know, we, we had, we grew up in a totally different world from the one they grew up in. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's a pretty small pool of mm-hmm. people. Was there ever a time when when it kind of all worked? Like, oh, goody, we're going to Uncle Don's house. <laughs> like, did you ever have that? Did those words ever, like, can't wait to see Eric and Junior? <laughs> or was it just always a shit show? <laughs> I'm asking for, like, tens of millions of people right now. Not that we're listening, I'm but so, just so This is there. very unprofessional, but that may be... The most inadvertently funny thing you've ever said in your life, and I Probably. don't know you very well, but um, it was actually quite brilliant. <laughs> no, 
There well, was never such a time. I don't. I don't know um, how much you know about me, but I, I, I'll make a very, very long story very short. I had a wife and, who was murdered in two thousand six, and uh, I, of course, I know that. Okay, Adrian so, is. I love her work so much. Well, thank you for saying uh, that. But I, I, I was going to say that humor to me is everything. I have gotten through shit yeah. in my life by just putting things through the lens of humor because that's what's key. It may not work for everybody else, but it works for me. It keeps me sane. So I'm, I'm... Well, and that explains a lot of the insanity in my family because most of them can't do that because they're not funny. They're just humorless. <laughs> if no, none. And I mean, a take, couple of people are Taking it a step further, if you layer uh, humorlessness with utter lack of self-awareness, tone deafness... Like they have all these qualities mm -hmm. where they just don't, I mean, not to harken back to the, you know, beer can and the shark analogy, but they're, they're, I'm 63 years old. I've never seen human beings like them before, ever, ever. They're like not human. They don't yeah. have, you can put a, you can put a child who's bleeding in front of Donald and mm -hmm. he will likely say something that is so horribly inappropriate and tone deaf. Like, as you I have to get my limo down this road. Can we, can we move her? Can we move her? Like, that's what's going to happen. Like, he's going to go yeah. to the place that no other human with compassion, with empathy, with feelings, with a heart, with, with a soul would ever. That, that, but that's also what makes him fascinating to journalists and writers and, you know, anthropologists yeah. and psychologists. And, because we've never encountered this ever. And I'm not even talking about in politics. It's one thing to say just to see people like that in life, but that that became president of the United States and the first family, and it's astounding. And that's why I think people love you because you are part of that, not by choice, but like that, and then you were able to not become that. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, going through my own trauma in life and challenges or whatever, I appreciate, I so appreciate people who, surrounded by that and just claw their way out somehow and just do their thing and become good and, and are good people well thank you um but you know and and i'm just reminded of a question you asked earlier you know how how did donald be, become this way and i said it takes a village and it does uh but most of us you know if we we grow up with behaviors that are, aren't acceptable, right? Um, we get checked along the way, whether it's by schoolmates or teachers or bosses or what have you. And the uh, behaviors he developed as the child of his parents got reinforced mm. and approved of along the way, right? And, um, you know, for me, uh, the, I, one big difference was, and this this might sound weird, but there is an advantage to, if you grow up in a family like that, uh, to not being cared about. Like they didn't care mm -hmm. what I did one way or the other. So um, they had no influence on me, on what I did. Right. And, and if that makes any sense it at all. It makes total sense. Yeah. Total sense. So, you know, when, when, nobody has any expectations of you or for you uh you kind of get to write your own 
Mm. story. Fortunately. Yeah. Is, I, you know, I can also see how that would could potentially end badly. And it certainly makes things harder. Uh, maybe it, it, it takes longer to get to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it definitely has its advantages. By the way, I wanted to ask you, why do you have a giant picture of Mitch McConnell on your wall? Oh, I'm sorry. That's a turtle. I'm sorry. I just... And we know it's not Mitch McConnell because my daughter drew it, and she probably doesn't even know who. That's Mitch actually McConnell. very cool. Um, it is very. Cool. Is Donald? Does Donald love? Is he capable of love? Does he have tear ducts? Does he weep? Uh, I I don't know that I have ever seen any man in my family cry. Hmm. Um, That's so fascinating. And does he love, yeah, I is, mean, he, is he capable, does he, no. he love his kids the way I love my kids or you love Avery? Oh, no. No, 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 no. No, not at all. Does he love anyone? I, which is a tragic, it's tragic. I mean, I don't, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for him, certainly. But think about what a tragedy that is. Yes. Um, <laughs> to, uh, to go through life without access to the best thing about being human is is quite something um and uh what ex, ex, what expands that tragedy is that so many people don't see that um because even though uh you know, it's terrible that that would happen to a human being. It also makes that person entirely unfit to be among people. Right. And it so also explains, somebody. it explains everything. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I said on this program last week when Trump made his comment about journalists, I said, we've all seen movies where somebody is getting attacked or raped or whatever. I mean, just close your eyes and envision the, the violent nature of that, the brutality of that. And it sickens us to our core, right? Yet here's mm-hmm. a man who ad- is advocating that so that the people who are against him will be outed. That's how sick he is that he would want someone raped or threatened to be raped just out of vengeance. Like that's a that's a level of depravity that is as much as I think I understand him, I still cannot wrap my head around because I've never, especially with someone so public or with a president, like it, it defies everything we've been taught, everything, but it explains when, you know, lack of love, it explains, it just, ex- like I, it explains everything to me about him. Yeah, and two things about that. One, it's it's also coming from somebody who's been credibly accused of sexual harassment, sexual assault, and rape mm-hmm. by many women. That's a good point, right? Mm-hmm. So that that adds an uh, an, an extra layer of horror mm. to to the comment, but it also is illustrative of uh, you know what a black hole of need he is. Like if you aren't 100% his supporter, if you are the slightest bit critical of him, you deserve to be thrown in prison and raped. Right. Now, a lot of people say that the moment he decided to become president or run for president is when Obama joked about him 
at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Now, to most sane, rational people, they'd be like, that's not how it happened. But with Trump, you're like, yeah, he was dissed. People were laughing, laughing at him, laughing at him being a loser. However, Obama, I don't remember the routine, but I remember it was hysterical and true. And I remember seeing Trump's reaction. And it's easy to think like, okay, that was the moment where he was like, I'm going to show this guy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burn America and him to the ground. That's, again, yeah, I such think, a, I mean, mm-hmm. is he that insecure? I mean, that's like oh. insecurity on a level that we can't, I can't even comprehend. No, it, it's in, it is incomprehensible, but it's also true. I, I mean, he is, he is, uh, so empty. Like there, there is, this is somebody, probably the worst thing my grandfather did to Donald is that, um, he turned him into, so, okay, sorry, let me back up for a second. Because of the deprivations Donald suffered as a child, he didn't really experience the kind of love, that unconditional love that all children need, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that one of the things that drives him is that need to be loved. Unfortunately, he doesn't know what love is, but he didn't experience it. So it, 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 it becomes a sort of, it's a deformed version of that. Like he actually thinks that, you know, crowds of people he would never have anything to do with privately screaming his name, that, that, that somehow fills the void. But, you know, it isn't enough because it's not really love. Um, so he needs that. He, de- mm. he desperately needs love. But my grandfather, and this is, again, probably the worst thing my grandfather did, turn Donald into somebody who's unlovable. So those things are in constant tension. And uh, anytime he is mocked, even if it's, most of us know how to laugh at ourselves or know how to brush it off when, you know, if somebody who has nothing but contempt for me says something to me, like a version of what Obama said about Donald, I don't care. Right. What do I care? Right. I have contempt for them. They have contempt for me. Who cares? Um, he can't let it go. And I mean, I guess, and not <laughs> certainly no blame Barack Obama for what happened after that. But the one thing about that that bothered me um, is that, because let's face it, Barack Obama didn't, didn't make it happen. He might have, you know, lit the fuse, but the media, Jim Cohn, <laughs> there were so many other people right, 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 who of course. were actually complicit. But it it was the fact that that President Obama gave any attention to somebody as worthless as Donald at all. Right. Like the best thing you can do with somebody like Donald is ignore him. Right. And interestingly, th- th- to me, the flip side, like if you diss him, you are disloyal. He wants revenge. But it also explains why he loves certain people. Like, it's almost like if whoever likes him, he will like back. Like, if this was 1945 instead of 2022, he'd be like, I don't know, Hitler's not such a bad guy. He likes me. I like him. He likes me. So I like he's good. Like, of course. As long as somebody likes him, he's okay with it. It's like he has no capacity to go, 
The Proud Boys? No, they're bad for democracy. Like, as long as somebody, no matter how evil they like him. So that, like, no matter who disses him is going to be the target. No matter who likes him, no matter how evil they are, is going to be his friend. Kim Jong-un. I love, he. we send love letters. Like, it's just, it is, I mean, I think people are going to be studying him for centuries. Not just as a human, but like, how did we let him become president. Right. You mentioned something before about right. the people around him who he would never be close with or be in the same area. I forget exactly how you said it. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, how does a guy who, who you know, basically a, a former New York Democrat, okay, let's call him what he was, a playboy, mm-hmm. wearing fancy, although shitty suits, but fancy suits. <laughs> uh, I, mean, he's, I mean, seriously, he's got to let go of the 80s pleated pants at this point, but my opinion, but... He lives in a mansion in the sky, nothing but limousines and private jets, probably paid for more abortions than any human being uh, in politics. Hey, Herschel Walker's given him a run for his He's given him, he is, well, no pun intended. Right. Running back joke. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, how did he convince, like, truck driving rednecks that, like, he's just like me? How did that happen? Because I still can't answer that, unless I just say racism. That's it. It's racism. Well, that's a huge part of it, um, but that doesn't explain the, the 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 quality of the um, sycophancy or the, uh, the the way they follow him. You know, the way they're loyal to him. It just it is so creepy, and I think that's that's what we need to figure out because. Um, it was bad enough in 2015 and 2016. Although I think we, those of us from New York, didn't understand how he played in the Midwest. You know, we did. I didn't. I never watched The Apprentice. Why would I? I we know he's a total loser and a failed businessman. Right. But people in in I don't know in the flyover country, I guess is what they call it. People in the middle of the country, people outside of New York didn't see it that way. They they saw the very carefully constructed myth about him mm. um, that had started with my grandfather. So, but that doesn't uh, ex- that doesn't explain. And I agree with you, by the way, because that's aspirational, and people looked up to wealthy mm-hmm. people and celebrities and whatever for century, right. you know. But that doesn't explain the he's he's one of us. Like, how do you explain no. that? Because he's not. He wouldn't right. be caught dead with these people. He'd have them thrown out right. of Trump Tower. <laughs> he would indeed. Um, and and that, that's that's why it's more disturbing now than it was then, because then there was some there was some reasonable explanation people didn't know yet. But then after four years of knowing, after four years of seeing the horrors he inflicted upon this country, 12 million more people voted for him mm-hmm. than in 2016. That's the mystery we need to solve because it is so dangerous. And um, even though I think there's a very good possibility that he is going to become less and less relevant uh, in terms of our politics as time goes on, um, it's happening with other people. I mean, what's her name? Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is the Republican Party right now. Let's not kid ourselves. Right. Uh, and if the Republicans win on Tuesday, she will be chairing committees. She might even be Speaker of the House, for God's sake. 
she was at one of his uh, rallies and and um, got the crowd laughing at Paul Pelosi, mm-hmm. who somebody just tried to murder with a hammer. Like, what is funny about that? You know, mm-hmm. so so it's the degree to which it, the disease has spread. Um, because I'm with you, I do not understand it except to say this. Um, you know, one of one of the things the right has always done, and like this is like since since uh, the beginning of this country, is co-opt working class white people um, by convincing them that their whiteness is more important than anything else, and they did that to prevent white indentured servants and white working class. Uh, or uh, not to join forces with black indentured servants, freed slaves, enslaved people, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still doing that. So there's that there's that commonality. You know, their their white privileges has it does have a lot of value. Let's not get our and, and fear of white of replacement. I, I, I personally yeah. belong yeah. to the camp that says it's just all racism. That's all it is. It's just he gave them license to be who they are, to publicly say the shit they would never have said publicly before. He opened the rock Mm -hmm. and said, come on out. Your guy is now in charge. And that's, you know, I I think that combined with people who were just not at all happy seeing a black family in the White House, like, you know, it just Mm -hmm. he he saw them. Um, He saw how easy it would be to just puppeteer. And that's his evil genius. Some people say I, he's not a genius. He's stupid. No, I, he's an evil genius. He's, you know, I, I give him credit in the way, I mean, 44 people before him became president of the United States. He figured out something on how to be in that very exclusive group. Uh, is, he, is he intellectually curious? Is he smart? Is he an intellectual? Fuck no. But he's an evil genius. And, and, People need to understand that distinction. You told George Stephanopoulos in 2020, quote, that uh, Trump is, quote, utterly incapable of leading this country and it's dangerous to allow him to do so. Well, we now know that you were right, but I want to know what two years later, what do you think? <laughs> if that's what you thought pre-insurrection, pre-fealty by the entire Republican Party, despite insurrection and treason and election stealing, how do you feel now? What are you worried about Tuesday as it relates to Trump? And Trumpism. Hey, well, we now know that that so-called Trumpism does not require Donald anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought that I would say this, but things are so much worse now than they were uh, when Joe Biden became president. <laughs> like, how is that even possible? Um, and I, I think if if nothing else what uh what we now know is that we are possibly irretrievably broken mm-hmm. um hopefully not irretrievably but we're very broken in some and, of the ways we are yeah um and it's going to take an enormous amount of will and education and power to uh fix things to the extent they can be fixed the problem though is that the media only cares about the horse race. Uh, the, the media seem to be incapable of um, 
telling the American people exactly what is at stake on Tuesday. Um, and they just, you know, whenever, whenever somebody in the media cites polls about um, what, what is the most important thing in this election for American voters, um, you know, say it's gas prices, it's, it's inflation, and then lower down on the list is democracy. What, what reporters and journalists are telling you is that they have failed miserably at their job. Mm-hmm. Because that means that the American people don't understand how inflation and high gas prices work. And they don't apparently know that uh, democracy is not something that you can have today, lose tomorrow, get back when you feel like it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the whole system is just rotten to the core. Mm. Uh, and I mean, we we knew that was true because the fact, the, just the fact that somebody like Donald was allowed to happen, um, but that that so many more people are following uh, the path that he showed them. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing, I mean, it's it's not really comforting, but uh, you know, and I agree with you that racism is is behind almost all of this. Uh, this is an incredibly racist country, and white people need to figure that out and do something about it. Um, and one a really nice way to start would be just to admit that uh, we're racist, and because then otherwise oh, that's, can't not, that's not us. That's not who we are. <sighs> I'm so sick of that kind of self deluded bullshit. But yeah, um, is that in addition to that, Donald did have something that I don't see in any other politician, and that's charisma. I know that sounds ridiculous. Nope, I say so I literally repulsive. say that almost every day. It's true. And if have you ever had the great misfortune of meeting him in person? You know what? I am a big New York Knicks fan. I've seasoned tickets. And one time I left the garden and he was coming out literally the same time as I was. And he couldn't find his limo. And he was walking with somebody. I don't know who it was. But I was walking right behind him. And he was just going off. Fucking guy. Where the fuck is this? Where the fuck? I was like, what is he so angry at? <laughs> but that was when people like liked Trump. When he was like, oh, The Apprentice, and oh, and like, you know, when he wasn't well, like a, a total monster, he was just like a half monster, you know? I didn't like him. To be but. fair, though, don't you just get completely enraged when your chauffeur uh, isn't available at the drop of a hat? That's, I don't know. But that's why so I have pathetic. two cars with two chauffeurs. I, oh, make, I, make, no. I make the second one follow the other one around. And then if the other one gets lost, like the second one is there. So I never have that problem. That's really smart. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna get on the phone with my assistant as soon as we're done and have have her arrange that. Uh, <laughs> great solution. So okay, so you didn't meet him under the right circumstances, no. or didn't see never him under the right circumstances, because that's really who he is. Mm-hmm. That person you saw raging and ranting mm-hmm. about the his friggin' limo. But if you if you were to meet him in a, a in a setting where he was sort of on his best behavior or sorry, performing, you would see that, that there's this, uh, there's this charm and charisma. Mm-hmm. Now, because you're sane, you would see it for what it is. Oh. And five seconds later, and I could, I could see it like, now. I mean, I, to me, he's mm-hmm. got Ted Bundy charm. Okay. You, you can be charming yeah. 
And I say this when I when people talk about Ron DeSantis, I, I always say, no, he's not. He's not Trump. He's not Trump. Uh-uh. A because he's smart, but he doesn't have the charisma. Imagine saying right. to yourself, okay, I'm going to drive to Canton, Ohio this morning. I'm going to at 7 a.m. I'm going to wait online for 12 hours in a cold rain, like they do for Trump, so I can hear Ron DeSantis for 90 minutes. Like, who's going to that rally? Nobody. Because he doesn't entertain. He doesn't have the charm. He doesn't say the thing. Like, so that's why I don't fear a DeSantis in some way, the way I I fear Trump. Because I don't think DeSantis will ever brainwash anyone. There's not going to be a DeSantis Mm. cult. All this stuff that exists with Trump, I do think he's one million percent unique. There'll There'll never be another one like him. He's achieved things that defy every conventional piece of wisdom like but he he has charisma you got to give him that he has charisma to the people who like that shit you know right and that's why when anybody asked me like about my cousins and politics like they don't have anything no nothing you know they don't have any of the advantages that donald had um including uh, you know well doesn't matter that they're irrelevant um but what's so dangerous about tuesday is that, you know, right now, nobody at the top of the Republican Party other than Donald has that. Like, think of what, Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley, right. who just is writing a book about what a real man is. I mean, come on. <laughs> These people have a Ted Cruz. Um, they don't they don't have anything up to offer other than their fascism, um, which, again, is, appeals to a lot of people, but not enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the danger is if, if they somehow win, I mean, despite the fact that it will be so demoralizing and depressing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to wake up uh, knowing that um, there are so many millions of people uh, in this country who are that hateful mm-hmm. and ignorant or ignorant. Um, or both. Is it, 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 it gives, or both. Uh, it gives them two years to game the system even further in their favor mm-hmm. and to allow people like Carrie Lake, who I think does have at least some version of what Donald has to amass more power and gain greater uh, national recognition. And um, yeah, that's, and you know, dismantle democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the danger is they'll just have more time to find the next candidate. Yeah. Well, this is the part of the, uh, podcast where we ask our second window into the soul question Uh, music is the best way to sort of see who someone's what who they are so give us your top five musical artists of all time um ella fitzgerald nice the who very nice tori amos mozart excellent not necessarily no taylor swift is that only four? Mozart, Bach? Uh, that was five. That was five. Well, if you had said six. Taylor Swift. I'm kidding. I, I, if you played me a Taylor Swift song, I would not be able to. I say this every it. week. When I asked uh, Eric Swalwell his top five, Taylor was in there. And I was like, I had no idea you were a Swifty. But he's a Swifty. Wow. Yeah. And, right. and one other person's well, in there, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not. Good for him. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, a, he's like, like a generation younger than we are. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Mary, you have been amazing. This has been riveting uh, and uh, incredibly enlightening. And 
I, you know, I want to just thank you on behalf of everyone in this damn country, because there are people during the, the reign of Trump, which is still ongoing, who have had the yeah. courage and the fortitude and the and the the patriotism to come forward and and try to combat him and Trumpism in the way they could. And I think America owes you, you are one of those people that America truly owes a debt of gratitude to. And I'm very appreciative uh, for what you've done. And so thank you for coming on and sharing your story and, and giving us some incredible insight into Uncle Shitbag. I want to get that right there at the end because that's my name. I have other names for him, but we'll just leave it at that. Uh, and we hope oh, that's come... the PG version. That is, that's the yeah, that's the yeah, <laughs> Uncle Ass Rape. Maybe that's another one. But I, I uh, shit, I didn't want to say that, but I did. <laughs> Fuck, didn't want to say that. Um, hopefully, we're going to have a good day on Tuesday. Hopefully, you'll come back soon and talk about uh, the the bright years ahead of America. Thank you again. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Before I say have a great week, I got to remind everybody: Tuesday, Tuesday, November eighth. Tuesday. This coming Tuesday is election day. It's the one day out of the year where the janitor and the billionaire are the same in terms of power. We're all equal that day. And if we vote, we can get everything we want. If we vote, we can codify Roe v. Wade. We can get funding to fight climate change. We can legislate away assault weapons and legislate sensible gun laws. We could do all kinds of really good things for a lot of people, but we got we can't do it if we don't vote. And I don't mean... 55% of us get out there, or 60%. I mean, let's get 70, 75% of us out there voting, especially in New York. Lee Zeldin, Lee Zeldin, governor of New York. Can you imagine a Trumpster, an election denier, someone who hates abortion rights and reproductive rights, gay marriage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Come on, let's get out there and vote. And let's keep this thing going. Let's give Democrats and Joe Biden a bigger majority in the House, a bigger majority in the Senate. So there you have it, episode 23 in the can. We'd love to hear your thoughts, so leave us a message at 845-307-7446. Email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And please leave a review if you like the podcast. These things are very important um, to the people who care about reviews. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, our associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio. And a big thank you again to our awesome guest, Mary Trump. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. And we hope you'll join us again next time. Hopefully, you'll have a great week. Hopefully, you'll have a fantastic week. Hopefully, next week, we will talk about all the amazing things that happened in this country on Election Day. 